0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. A real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark
1: and Dr. Karen Hatches.
2: Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thanks for joining us today, Phil. Who's on the show today?
0: Yeah, today we have Sarah Beth Fentress. Uh, she's a good friend. She's the executive director at One Twenty Seven Worldwide, and she's gonna she just shares with us today about um, just what she's learned during her time with One Twenty Seven. You're gonna you're gonna hear about it during the interview. Karen and I will talk about it a little bit afterwards. And we are also gonna i got I got a couple uh, recommendations for you today that are. That I think are going to be pretty fantastic for you. So if you uh, wait around for that, I think you will not regret it. So also, you know, as as we do often, I just want to encourage you to engage the conversation. You know, I know I got some feedback from the uh, the abortion conversations. I know I got some feedback on some of the other conversations we've had recently, and I I invite that, and I I hope that we can continue. Um, having those conversations. Speaking of conversations, pretty soon, keep your eye out for um, an announcement. and I'll be announcing it here on the podcast as well. We're going to be having a conversation on um, I believe it's going to be on Zoom where it's going to be open to whoever wants to do it and it'll be uh, really a forum talking about orphanages and hopefully it'll be the first of many of these where we're just going to be a few people kind of starting the conversation and then we'll have some questions of them and then we'll just have really open time for people to share. Um, So it's, it's something that I'm hoping we can encourage civil dialogue. We can encourage people to really connect as we hope to do on this show and as we hope to model through the interviews that we do. So uh, with that, you know, I just want to get right to Sarah Beth Fentress. Well, Sarah Beth, it is so great to have you on the show finally get, getting together to do this.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time coming, I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit over the last uh, couple of years, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of our audience doesn't know about you. So can you just share a little bit about yourself and how you got to be where you are today?
1: Yeah. My name is Sarah Beth. I have two names cause I'm from Kentucky <laughs> <laughs> and uh, starting a non- non-profit for orphan care was definitely not on my radar. Uh, my undergrad is in psychology and I have a graduate degree in marriage and family counseling and worked for a couple of different nonprofits for about 12 years. That was a great um, training ground. And then in 2011, I started 127 Worldwide. And it's uh, named after James 127. Pure religion is taking care of orphans and widows, um, their distress, and keeping oneself unstained from the world. So, um, just a real quick little aside to that, I feel like. Um, have this kind of season of prolonged singleness, and God really just um, put a light to the the fact that um, I'm able to relate to a widow in a way that maybe other people. Um, not can't necessarily do because of decisions. And I'm the head of my household and things like that. And then my mother actually passed away in 2011 and not saying I can relate to being an orphan, but just the loss of a parent and the grief process and the the journey that I've been there. I feel like those two things have kind of given me a framework for empathy that I can have for um, vulnerable people that maybe other people can't. So that's just a little bit about how I got to, to where we are today.
0: Yeah, you know, I, and I, that's something that I talk to a lot of people about is the the path to orphan care. You know, sometimes goes through adopting a child or fostering a child or something along those lines. But then there's so many other stories that just weren't really the expectation, but God has brought us to it. And, I, <laughs> and, I, and I'm convinced more and more as I do this uh, for longer and longer that is, you know, it really is because it is the core of his heart and he wants to bring his children To the things that he loves, you know, and so even if it doesn't necessarily Mm. make sense in the world, it it makes sense when you have kind of a kingdom lens. Um, Yeah,
1: it's funny because I used to say, you know, I don't my life doesn't look like what I thought it would at my age. And I thought that was such a unique perspective, but I'm learning that nobody's life really looks like what they thought it would at their age. And so it's just taking that one step of obedience at a time and figuring out, you know, how our story is fitting in with God's big story. So it's definitely been an adventure.
0: (laughs) No. And that's what makes it fun. Right. You know I mean? It's definitely not boring. Definitely not boring. Um, That's for sure. So with that, tell us a little bit about one twenty seven worldwide and you know what God is doing in and through your ministry.
1: Yeah. So as I said, it's named after James one twenty seven, visiting orphans and widows. And um I tell people we want to be like e harmony for orphan care. <laughs> so that just kind of gives a visual of we want to match people who want to help um, with financial resources, gifts, talents, um, just ministry of presence, whatever that is, with people that we trust, their local indigenous leaders who are doing great work on the ground. So we work with partners in Kenya, Uganda, and Guatemala currently. We've also done some work in Haiti and Honduras. And so that's kind of the the short term, the short version of what we do, um, and basically there are four different ways that we do that. The four words we use are go, speak, invest, and empower. And so we take people on short term mission projects. Um, we want to give people an education and awareness where they can speak intelligently when they get home to their circle of influence to raise awareness for what the local leader is doing. Then we give people places they can invest their time, talents and resources into um, back into those local communities. And then my favorite word is empower. And that's just the idea of empowering locals to do what God has already called them to do. So it's um, how can we serve you in the vision that God has laid on your heart and walk beside you as you fulfill what God has for you instead of us trying to transpose what what we think should happen all the time? So that's kind of the gist of, of 127.
0: Yeah. And one of the things you guys do and I know you do very well is you partner um, with you know your church and and. Uh, You do that deeply and you know, what, what are you doing and kind of, how have you, how have you pursued excellence in the relationship with the church and how can you encourage others to do the same?
1: Yeah, um, I consider myself a networker and a connector. And so I feel like so many churches are hesitant to partner with parachurch organizations. So we're intentional about long-term partnership. And it, going back to that eHarmony idea, eventually we want to match people with our local leaders and then kind of step back and just be a consultant and a resource, but not really try to dictate the relationship. And so um, we're very excited about several things that are happening right now. But one thing is pastor training So going into these contexts and training local pastors, maybe who live in the village or who don't have access to theological training. And the best benefit of that is it gets church leadership. Um, on the ground with us in other countries to see firsthand what's happening. And so it's this uh, idea of an exposure to something that they wouldn't normally be exposed to. So, again, not that pastor training is the draw by any means, like that's important and, and a priority for us, but it, we found that our volunteers have shifted more into leadership of churches. And then when those people come back to their churches, it's easier to create momentum and to continue those relationships.
0: Yeah. You know, when you talk about the pastor training and, you know, something you and I have talked about a lot is the connection um, between both pastor training, church planting and the interconnectedness of that and the orphan care and vulnerable child care. Uh, around the world. And in fact, it's something we've talked about, you know, you write in part of the book that we've been working on and in that, in that, uh, on that topic. Can you just speak to that a little bit as far as how, um, the church planting and discipleship and pastor training and all of that is really, you know, kind of part and parcel really with, uh, the the care of orphan and vulnerable children.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm a fan of the local church, first of all. Um, I've always enjoyed studying theology, went to seminary, and I'm I'm passionate about people having right theology. But I could never make the connection how pastor training could be an integral piece of orphan care and orphan prevention. And then a couple of years ago, we took a team to Kenya to do pastor training. And my pastor, Tony Morita, who's been uh, an advocate for orphan care in the U.S. for a, a while and He's written some books um, about orphan care and he was teaching about the theology of orphan care and it was just kind of like a light bulb went off that if these pastors can grasp the influence that they have for the men in their churches to be good husbands good fathers, have healthy marriages, the result of that is less kids having to find another place to live and family preservation, orphan prevention are kind of the, the buzzwords in our world right now and I feel like that's the best way to go upstream and have men that are passionate about keeping their families intact because they understand the biblical mandate of of that spiritual leadership. And so I think it was just kind of this aha moment for me of how can we incorporate pastor training um, as we're going through these short-term projects, and how does that empower the local leader that we're working with? Because our local leaders aren't necessarily pastors, but they are church members, and we want our people to be in healthy churches so that they're hearing the gospel and they're hearing um, the responsibility for you know them to take care of the vulnerable people in their community as well.
0: Yeah. You know, so much of it, you know, we've talked about this before. So much of it is identity issues. You know, if we can, I was talking with a good friend who actually, actually Brian, who was on the show um, I think in season one or two. And um, we were just talking about the idea of Id- identity and it being so critical to these children, understanding who they are so that they don't get involved in traffic so that they don't go and you know, as a, as a little boy or a, you know, little boy Mm -hmm. who's actually in a man's body going out and impregnating women and going out and creating orphans in different ways. Um, and for Mm -hmm. women to actually know their identities as well. Um, and you know, that, that's, that's pretty much what you're talking about right there. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think if you're talking about looking at practically where has God placed you? And I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. There's a seminary that's passionate about sending theologically trained pastors into the world. And a lot of them are at my church now. Um, I go to a Mago Day church in Raleigh. And so it's that's a you know, low hanging fruit for us to kind of cast this vision. And then those people are being sent out to churches all over the world. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to see kind of the domino effect that's going to happen over the next few years. Right. Just through that strategic partnership.
0: Absolutely. And and tell me about that kind of the partnership with the Mago day as well. And, and, uh, how you're working with Tony and the rest the rest of the – how you have worked and, and continue to work with the church in different ways and the rest of the team there to really make it part of the DNA of the church of uh, loving the orphan and the, and the vulnerable.
1: Yeah, so I think it's twofold. I think it's making it the DNA of the church but also making it the DNA of the parachurch ministry to be open – to needing that, the boost and the launch of a church that's walking alongside of you. And so I feel like so many organizations miss that critical piece of partnering with healthy local churches, and it's a give-and-take relationship. You know, um, 127 is anchored to a local church. They give us office space. Um, we have volunteers that come help um, at our office or go on trips with us or our financial donors. But we also provide a service for them, you know, kind of as a missions um, sending organization or education classes. We've done, um, foster care training nights at, at our church. And so just kind of finding people again, connecting those people who are passionate and like-minded and who want to go, let's join arms together and walk together. It kind of get, it creates a space for that to happen in, in a healthy way.
0: Absolutely. Um, so now let's, let shift gears a little bit to something, uh, you know, much easier, much easier topic. I want to, I want to go to short-term missions. So something that has <laughs> no controversy, there's been no issues around it at all over the last few years. But, um, you know, with, with, with missions, I know missions are an important part of what you're doing. You've talked about it. Taking people over go is one of the, one of the key terms and key words. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, so w- what is your take on short-term missions and, and how you believe they can really be a, a integral part of, doing orphan care ministry with excellence.
1: This is kind of like the danger zone, right? We're proceeding with caution on this one. (laughs) Of course.
0: That's why I ask it. I can't stay in the safe zone all the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've already mentioned, um, I think this is, I welcome healthy debate. So I do not have this figured out by any means. I'm not saying that. Um, but for 12 years before 127, I also led short-term mission projects, and so I've seen them done well, and I've seen them done not so well, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And so I, I guess my like blanket answer would be: I think it's just not a black and white issue. Like you can't say all short-term mission projects, even when you're working with vulnerable people, are bad. Um, I think. There are definitely precautions that you need to take, um, and I'm pro taking those. And I feel like uh, what s- sets One Twenty Seven apart again are those local leaders who are there the other 51 weeks of the year. We have no American presence in any of our partnerships in country year round. So we have several people that will come visit. Our partners come here. There's a, it's a long term relationship. Two of of our partners in East Africa I've known for 10 years, and so. Um, I'm very aware and have read a lot about, you know, the attachment issues, the continuum of care issues, um, creating dependency. So it's not something I'm just like a forming an opinion that's not educated. Uh, I feel like for what we do, um, we don't have the the stereotypical mission projects that maybe are giving short term mission projects a bad, a bad rap. <laughs> like the purpose of our mission projects is to expose our people to what the ministry that the local leaders are doing the other 51 weeks of the year. So, it is a lot of community ministry and outreach. It's not just internal or let's you know take all the white people to the volunteerism projects or you know anything like that. But I do feel like um, our to create momentum and to create long-term partnerships, our local leaders need to know more than just our staff. And so the best way for people to come and see what God's doing, um, is, is to physically be present. And I use the example of, um, going to the Grand Canyon. I, before I went to the Grand Canyon, I'd seen pictures. I had seen video, but until I had my feet standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, there's really no secondary, (laughs) like there's nothing to, um, to take the place of that. And so, um, I, I understand the caution, um, particularly with attachment. Um, but I think it's, it's not something I can really share everything within the podcast, but I would like maybe on some show notes or something, I would welcome some just healthy conversation back and forth. I know I have many friends who differ greatly on with my opinion about this. Um, and so it's not, again, it's not something I've reached a, a hard and fast decision, but what works well for us is to build up the local leader. We want to make the I tell people we want to make Jesus and the local leader, the hero of what we're doing. <laughs> and by doing that, um, I think it kind of takes the pressure off. We're dictating as people coming in. This is what we want to do. And this is how we want to help you. It's, again, walking alongside of them and the, at, you know, getting to know them, asking questions. What vision has God given you and how can we um, walk beside you through that? Yeah.
0: So what, give me, give me an example of like, you talk about the attachment, um, you know, the issues that we all know with attachment and, you know, you come in and mm-hmm. potentially attach and then break the attachment after a week or whatever. But what are some ways mm-hmm. that, you know, some of the things that have worked for you with teams, like practically speaking, so put some flesh onto the, the conversation, yeah. um, yeah. of what ways have worked to bring teams in, Um, in a healthy way that has actually been life-giving on both sides and, you know, that hasn't really violated the principles discussed in When Helping Hurts.
1: So our primary relationship, again, is with the local leader. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a lot of community development on one of the compounds I'm thinking of in Kenya. We have a school. Um, there is a children's home still um, on the property and there's a guest home, too. And so we have tried to be careful of, of having community activities and inviting. You know, we have 300 kids in the school and and interacting with them Our our primary relationships are with the local leader, the teachers at the school, the more constant people that are there. And we want to build them up. And, you know, if, if we're bringing gifts, if we're bringing information, we want to filter it through the local leader. And so I think that's a good way of like keeping the balance of um, – Yes, we. You know, part of James one twenty seven says visit orphans and widows. So there is part of the actually like tangibly visiting orphans and widows is part of what we do. But we try to keep it in a balance of we are we're coming and we're going to keep coming. It's a long term relationship. It's not a make a splash in a pan and we're moving on. It's a ten year long relationship. So even though. You know, I might bring some different people with me throughout those times. Um, there, there's a constant where people know, oh, that's you know, Rose has a partnership with 127, and they're um, they're in this for the long haul, and they're walking alongside of us for the long haul. So, I don't know if that exactly answers your question. Well, you know,
0: I guess maybe. Uh, uh, ask it a little differently. So, you know, I've had like Rebecca Nepp on the show and obviously she, she's on, you know, I don't know if you guys, you guys would probably agree more than you disagree, but one of the things she talks about and I, is the idea of on a trip with, you know, visiting an orphanage that you should never participate in give, you know, caregiving at any level with the children. Um, would you mm-hmm. agree with that? Or is that something that you would say, you know, you know, you can do that in a way that's healthy and, and uh, (laughs) in a short-term situation?
1: I think we're careful with that. Um, For me, I've spent about Probably four months of my life over the span at this place that I'm talking about in Kenya, and so um, it's almost like I'm the visiting aunt that comes in every once in a while. I think that's an example that I had given you. I feel like sometimes we have a double standard of um, with attachment and dependency that doesn't cross cultures necessarily, and so um, an example I I kind of use sometimes is if um, if I have a family who's adopted from Ethiopia and their grandparents live in California, they're not going to limit that relationship because the proximity is different what they're going to do is try to um, ensure the attachment in other ways through writing letters through you know getting on skype You know, other kind of ways that you can create that relationship and build the relationship. So I think a lot of the negativity comes when there's not a long-term relationship Mm -hmm. there. And for us, that's the focal point. Like primarily with a local leader, for sure, the kids are going to grow up, and we want them to be in society, not obviously living at the orphanage long term. And so um, that's kind of been our focus with volunteers. We point them towards the local leader and the teachers at the school and. How can they pour into those people so that they can disciple um, the kids that are there more long term? So, I would I couldn't say I've never done caretaking. It's not something we do as like a standard of our projects. Right, you know, right. um, we want people to jump in and kind of get to see um, some behind the scenes things of of what happens. But um, yeah, I wouldn't. I, I would say that's probably another thing is training the volunteers that we bring over of what our role is there particularly and, right. and I would say the the example I'm using that's the most interaction that we would have with um, with with orphans for sure and so there are other places where you know we're visiting in schools doing discipleship working in slum areas um, alongside of the the ministry that's happening throughout the year
0: yeah you know I, th- I think that uh, you know it obviously is a nuanced issue I think it's something that um, you know you talked about I've used that similar example, you talk talk about the grandparents, one of the issues that, you know, we really need to, you know, it's something we, we, we struggle with figuring out the right balance too at La Providencia down, you know, in Honduras where we're, we're working and, and, uh, it's, it's a constant challenge. And especially when, um, you know, you talk about the grandparents, well, that, that analogy is great as long as it's the same people, right? With you, it makes perfect sense. With somebody else, <laughs> a team yeah. um, that may not ever go there again. And, you know, what what is what have you seen as your kind of the success level of, and I'm just asking this, I mean, you know, we're just talking here mm-hmm. as far as, because I'm curious too, um, and that's typically what I do anyway. But, you know, especially in this instance, <laughs> I, I don't think there's a right answer here per se, but what is the, uh, you know, kind of success that you've had as far as keeping people connected in a healthy way too that isn't you know kind of like I'm gonna bring you a bike next time I come, you know, because those are <laughs> the, the obviously problems that we yeah. need to protect from is too. But people like yeah. developing real relationship, keeping it up via whether it's Skype, whether it's coming back every six months, year, whatever. Um yeah. have you what, what have you seen there? That's great.
1: That's a great question. So our alumni for one twenty seven, that people that go on a one twenty seven project have very little contact with uh, for example, with Kenya after they leave, what mm-hmm. they do, what we want to do is empower them to be an advocate for what they what they've seen, and 127 kind of serves as the liaison for them. So if we have a fundraising project, if um, Peter's coming to the U.S. from Kenya and he, they want him to come speak in his church, they kind of go through us to coordinate, you know, those logistics. And so I think that's helpful as we are kind of that mediator. Um, The one exception to that, which we talked about earlier, is if an entire church wants to say, hey, we're going to start partnering with Peter. um, It's kind of that same mentality, like that church would then serve as the role of 127 as far as like what we're doing with our volunteers. And so whoever that point person is, is going to make sure, you know, Peter's not getting random Skype messages from high schoolers who went on a trip. We're trying to. Kind of funnel the the energy of who wants to help Peter and here specific ways here you know here's when Peter's coming to the U S and kind of being that channel of information and, and advocacy as as we go. Yeah, which I, think I did is, just want to yeah. say one other thing about. Yeah, go. <laughs> While I'm talking about controversial things, I think um, we kind of have the same what I would call a double standard about creating dependency. Um, this is another gray area for me because I feel like I raise my support to work for 127 and people don't look at me. I think most people don't look at me as, you know, I'm. Um, you're taking away my dignity and I'm, I'm dependent on the people that are supporting me. And so I think I'm not just saying we should just throw money at, <clears throat> at people who are doing good work, but I feel like we kind of have a double standard of – I think there is a time and a place. And again, I use the example of um, if you have an infant, you're going to take much more intentional care of them than if you have an 18 year old. But you still are going to parent your 18 year old. And so it's kind of a process of, you know, the goal is independence. But I think sometimes that's a long journey and it's a discipleship education. You know, the same thing like walking alongside the local leader and and we're in this for the long haul. And so I think I, I guess I would just challenge The listeners to kind of think through, am I putting a different standard on people who just because they're vulnerable or they live in another place or fill in the blank of why. (laughs) But I feel like sometimes we do kind of have a double standard about things, you know, such as this.
0: No, absolutely. I talk to people about that all the time. I think that the idea of, um, you know, I'd like to even go a step further and say, you know, I think that independence is, is part of the, trajectory of the goal, but I think interdependence really is the goal for all these relationships that we have, um, where we are, you know, really seeing it as working together to flourish, to help each other to flourish. And I think that, you know, you use the parenting example. I use that all the time. You know, it's dependence for several years, just utter dependence. And then you, you have through the teens slash college years, you know, you start getting independence happening that they need to kind of spread their wings. Right. But then at some point, you know, they become a parent, they get married, whatever it is. You know, And I'm thinking of my own life. Then it becomes an interdependence with your parents um, where you are really. Mm-hmm seeking together how you together can help them and how they can help you. And then it becomes really a, a friendship that is, you know, not quite pure cause it's still your parents and you're still their children, but it really is an interdependence where you're, you're working together. And that's, you know, that's kind of a, an analogy it obviously breaks down at some levels, but I think that it's a good analogy when it comes to, you know, whether it's a startup here in the United States or a startup nonprofit somewhere else, anywhere around the world. I think that that is, um, it's a, it's a really good way to look at it. Like you said, the double standards. Um, and I think with the double standard often comes a bit of superiority complex as well, because I think that that mm-hmm. is where it comes in as a paternalism type stuff is what causes a lot of that, I believe. Um, so anything else on that? Can kind of yeah. I wrap it up?
1: No, I agree. agree with what you said.
0: Yeah. So, you know, as we're coming to a close, I'm going to ask you the last couple of questions that we ask everybody. Um, and uh, the first one is, what have you read, watched, or listened to recently that has impacted your thinking on how we can love orphaned and vulnerable children with excellence?
1: Yeah. Um, one, it kind of goes along with what we're talking about. Um, Dwayne Elmer has written a book called Cross-Culture Conflict. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually has written a, a few books. Um, but he's, I don't think he's as well-known, but I, everything he's written, I – um, just really love. It's more of like a textbook mentality, but it's the things we're talking about, like working with people in cross-cultural situations. Um, how, what are potential for miscommunication and for, um, how do you create a healthy environment where they feel comfortable being honest with you about, you know, things that you're doing wrong or that you're hurting, you know, in their ministry. And so that's just been very fruitful. Um, and then just, being transparent, I feel like I kind of hit a wall this year with, um, this, this is a marathon that we're running in orphan care and just this need that we've talked about even at CAFO to to take that time and take care of yourself and to make sure, you know, preventing burnout and making sure that this isn't something that you're going to wake up and hate your life in five years because you haven't really created margin. And so I would just recommend, um, there's a book by Paul David Tripp called Awe, a W E and just how people lose that sense of awe in God and how, um, finding that is really kind of what motivates you. It's like, what is the why behind what we're doing? And I think that's just been a real place where I've been personally in the last year and kind of along those same lines. Um, this could be a whole nother conversation, but, um, Patrick Lincioni um, has written a lot of books on leadership and I just started, um, a book called the ideal team player. So I think, we kind of talk about orphan care and talk about the practicality of ministry, but for people like me, the the whole business side is another um, a beast that you have to kind of figure out one bite at a time as well and so that book talks about like creating a team and getting the right people on the right on the ship and going in the right direction and looking for criteria of people to be the I'll give you the cheat sheet the three things are you want people that are humble who are hungry and who are smart and so it talks about people who aren't concerned about getting the credit they're self-motivated without you having to motivate them. And then not so much book smarts. It's talking about more about like people smarts. They ask the right questions. They engage people well. And so with, the, with 127 as a ministry, we're really at a place right now trying to reevaluate. So I think just kind of a spiritual book, a leadership book, and a, a cross-cultural ministry book. I'll throw one out of each.
0: Yeah, that's some good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I love Lencioni. I, I haven't read that book, but I've heard him on a couple of podcasts talking about it. I have it. I just haven't read it yet. And then uh, <laughs> Paul David Tripp. I, I haven't read that one, but I, we had him on the show, and he talked about that very thing, the awe, the need to, to really have the, the sense of awe, not lose the sense of awe of God um, in mm-hmm. doing the work we're doing. Yeah. So, um, I can vouch for those two anyway. Uh, I haven't read the other one yet, so hopefully get to it. Um, last question. What person has yeah. most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence?
1: This, this was difficult. I've already given him a little shout out, but um, I actually moved to Raleigh to sit under the teaching of, of Tony Morita. And mm-hmm. um, I would say as far as like practicality of orphan care, I mean, yes, he's adopted five kids. That is something to definitely acknowledge and applaud. But for me, it's been more of like helping me create a theology of orphan care, a theology of justice ministry. And I think like so many things in society right now are talking about social justice and is, is your, does your social justice have gospel? And just like, he's kind of helped me parse through this idea that the gospel does have space for caring for needy people. I mean, that's what Jesus did. Um, but I think it's important for us, as those of us that are in the trenches every day to really have a theology, again, of like, why are we doing this? And what is the purpose and how, what is God's heart for taking care of vulnerable people? So um, I, w- I think that would be my answer to that question.
0: Well, that's great. Well, thanks uh, so much, Sarah Beth, and I, I very much appreciated our friendship, and I uh, appreciate you coming on the show and just sharing your wisdom with other people out there.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's
0: been fun. Well, thanks so much, Sarah Beth, and I, I just I get excited every time I get to interview a friend on the show who's doing great work and is is really thinking through these issues. Um, you know, even though we may not agree on everything, uh, in all the different stuff that we're doing, I think we agree on most things and, and, uh, I just love having conversations with people about these, these tough issues, about these things that, uh, that we're working through every day and learning, um, whether it's just learning about it by reading and studying and researching or learning about it by doing it on the ground. And so I just really appreciate Sarah Bass. And so, uh, Karen, what what'd you think about it? What'd you think about the interview?
2: Yeah, it was a good interview, Phil. It's great to have her on the show. I like what you're saying. Even though we may not track on every single thing, um, it's it's so good to collaborate and kind of learn what, what others are doing. I think one of the things that stuck out to me with her interview um, was just the emphasis that the organization and ministry places on pastor training. I think that that has such a huge role in uh, connecting families and kids, and it's so, so important when— um, um, an organization can help to train from a top-down approach. I've just seen it um, to be incredibly helpful when pastors and leaders understand how important it is to um, to know how to work with orphaned and vulnerable children as well.
0: Yeah, you know, and that's something you and I have talked about a lot. That's something I've talked about with a lot of the people um, all around the world is the, is the importance of that pastoral training, the importance also of – Understanding how we need how we need to love orphan and vulnerable children and the and the issues that are specific to them, um, in the context of church planting, in the context of small churches, particularly in the developing world, because, you know, anybody out there who's uh, who's listening and has been part of a small church and who's been part of a church planting in any way, whether it's visiting, whether it's a ministry that you're part of, or whether it's that you've actually done it, you know that a lot of the congregation. Is is orphaned and vulnerable children, and and a lot of that reason is is because, if for no other reason, uh, parents want just a break and they want some free childcare on Sunday mornings, and so they'll drop their kids off and and they'll often not even stay, and and so that's something that these pastors, these churches really need to understand these issues, and so I absolutely love what what. Uh, Sarah Beth and what Tony Morita are doing out there in Raleigh and I encourage you guys to learn more about it
2: you know I think that If you listen to this podcast, which obviously our listeners have listened to, then, um, you know, we can't not talk about the, the topic of short-term missions. We can't not talk about, um, just kind of how it is a hot topic. And a lot of people, um, we have, we have differing ideas. It's no, no shocker Phil where, where I land on, Mm -hmm. um, on this topic. And, um, you know, I appreciate where Sarah Beth's coming from. I think I understand, um, you know, where, where she's coming from. But one thing that that I would say is that, you know, when we're talking about long-term partnerships, that's phenomenal. I love that they've been connecting with, um, you know, different organizations for over a decade, that that is phenomenal. And if we're going to do short term missions, we've got to be intentional and it's got to be a long term partnership and relationship. One of the things that I would just kind of add a little bit or tweak to that is I think that those long term relationships and partnerships, they can be done well and intentionally, particularly with adults. Um, But I just think we're talking about a way different topic when we're talking about Children and teenagers, particularly with that topic of attachment that you kind of mentioned and tried to go there, it is it is just really different when um, it's with kiddos and teenagers.
0: So, what would you say? What would what would your answer be to those to the questions and, and kind of the conversation as far as what what uh, what is okay, what is <laughs> what is too far, what is you know kind of something that because you know the, the fact of the matter is teams are going to continue going around the world, whether we say it's bad or not, whether we say it's terrible, whether when Helping Hurts comes, whether we have, you know, no orphanage tourism, there's still going to be people going, right? Um, How can we take baby steps towards that with missions, you know, that we know people are going to say they're still coming. So how can we start encouraging people to start moving towards the healthiest, which, you know, you'd say is no contact, right? unless you are in their life as their caregiver and, and, or otherwise, you know, somebody who's in their life regularly, but, you know, I'm assuming that's the answer that you you give, correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong, but what, what about this? Is there any way that people can interact, um, on a short-term, um, missions basis that would be, um, acceptable and Okay.
2: Okay. It's a nice, nice lob there. Well, well you know, I, um, I like I know, to throw I know. you softballs. I, I actually so answered this question uh, when Kelly interviewed me a couple of seasons ago. And, and I think probably my my answer would stay the same. My daughter actually, um, has answered this question pretty recently, and I love her response. I actually want to get her on the show, um, maybe to answer a couple of questions, um, because my daughter is 16 and she came, um, to live with our family when she was right around seven or eight. And so she has very specific memories of what it was like, um, to have a lot of visitors come to the orphan care community where she was. And I love her answer to this question. Um, is that it, it's, it hurts, it's painful. And that, um, you know, I think a lot of times a, a response of why do we go and why do we wanna have short-term missions is for exposure and to help people to see different parts of the world. Um, and I think when we try and think about that through the eyes of a child, of knowing that, you know, That's just not the best way that with technology, you know, watch a video, read about it. But, you know, I just think when we're talking about kids lives and their stories, if our intent is to simply open other people's eyes to it, I just have to believe there's other ways rather than to have teams coming and interacting with children and teens. And I am specifically talking about children and teens for a short amount of time and then leaving. Every time a child forms a connection with someone, and then that person leaves, it has the possibility of ripping open all of these wounds of rejection and abandonment. Now, am I trying to say (laughs) that that's happening every single time? No, I am not. But generally speaking, I was strongly encouraged short-term mission trips to not provide any type of caregiving role. And I'm just not sure that you can go into an orphan care community on a short term mission trip and not provide any type of caregiving. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. So even if you're at the playground, you'll probably have some sort of conversation with them that will that will actually constitute caregiving in some way. Is that, is yeah. that kind of what you're getting at? Uh,
2: yes. And I, I think, too, it's not just that you know, teams are coming in and, and bringing, you know, backpacks filled with candy and toys and new clothing. But I think we've got to think of bigger pictures, too, of of what does that look like for children in developing countries where groups of Westerners come in, where if we're honest, most of the time, that's groups of people that look a lot like me and you, a Caucasian ethnicity, where they're coming in and they're bringing these things and then they're leaving. And so I think it just has a tendency to perpetuate the the white savior complex. And um, again, I, I think that I'm coming from a really specific perspective with um, a very clinical mindset of how the brain develops related to attachment and healthy relationships and safety. And it's also coming from a place of hearing very specifically from two children who experienced this for several years and how that impacted the way that they viewed Westerners, as well as the church, as well as Farinj, which is a term in um, Amharic for a foreigner.
0: Mm. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the the idea that, you know, so much of this won't manifest and won't be obvious for potentially years, right? Um, right. And so when you're going on a trip and it's like, oh, well, they, but they reacted and, and they're so healthy and they're so this and they're so that and they're so well adjusted at this point, that isn't necessarily, you know, necessarily true. Um, and it may manifest itself later, like you're talking about with your with your kids and with other children who have been interviewed and talked about these things. Um, mm-hmm. Is that is that pretty accurate?
2: I think so. I think that's one way to, to describe it. I think that one of the things that I usually ask um, teams to consider is to really be very honest with yourselves and, um, you know, ask Why why am I going? Why do I want to post this picture of a child on my back? Why do I want to post that? And I think I'm going kind of in a different direction because um, I see so much of this on social media. And one of my favorite resources came out, I think, last year, a guide to social media. Um, One of my friends helped create that. We can link that again. But I just think it's good to ask, why are we going? And I think if one of the main reasons that we're going is to just have a greater exposure to the world or to see something in a different way in hopes of changing ourselves, I'm just not sure that's the best reason to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, this is something that we could talk for, for hours and hours. hours on, right? So, obviously, we've talked about it a lot on this show. We I know we have talked a collective several hours about this topic on this show. So, if this is something that, uh, you know, is really, you want more on this, you can go back into the archives and get get several episodes talking about this. Uh, I think some were focused almost specifically on this. But, um you know but I, I do want to kind of cut it off today is there is it, just because I think we could go on and on and on but I, I I do think that the the idea has definitely been been put out there that that you wanted to make sure that we uh, you know we cover you know because it's it's something that is important it's really important and it's these are lives that we're talking about this isn't this isn't some intellectual exercise this isn't some just advocacy uh, 101 class that we're going in to, to learn how to um, advocate for something. These are these are children. These are lives that um, are the same. You know, same lives like the children that we have biologically in our home, that we have adopted, that we have fostered. That, you know, they are someone's child, and that's the reality. So um, it is it is critical that we think deeply and we think really really well about how we can um, you know love them. And sometimes loving them means never meeting them. And so that's that's something that's really important, that we are not their savior. And so, you know, these are these are things that really are overarching in, in our lives, really. It's not just talking about our middle children. It's also talking about anything that we're doing um, in the context of ministry. We need to be really careful and wise yes. on how we're doing it and check our motives um, and really understand, are we doing it because we're trying to bring glory to ourselves? Are we doing it because we really feel that God is leading us to do something for the kingdom good and for his glory. So what what does that look like in each situation is is something that does take wisdom and discernment um, really hard. It's really hard. So um, anything else, Karen, before we get to the recommendations?
2: I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that as I totally, you know, bagged on short-term missions, I, I will say that it, it does sound a lot like, you know, Sarah Beth's or, organization and ministry. They are doing really good things and attempting to predominantly focus on the adult connections and um, the resources there that are not with kiddos. So I wanted to make sure and add that too.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I, I think, I, I hope I said that uh, very clearly early on. I think the work that 127 Worldwide is doing is fantastic. Um, and that's you know that's why we do want to say you know but, but as we do on this show we want to highlight some of the things that that uh, you know one of us may disagree with on some level um, but don't let that you know don't don't misinterpret that as we're not uh, thinking that the work that they're doing is fantastic and that really goes for all of our guests you know I think that and that that's kind of the point of one of the reasons why we're doing this show is. We can work together on so much even if we don't agree on everything. And that's, you know, if it's a fundamental disagreement that you absolutely can't work with them on something, that happens sometimes. But I think that's the exception to the rule. So anyway, all that to say, um, now we are going to transition to the recommendations. Dr. Karen Phil recommends today. I'm recommending a couple books. And the first one is The Hard Things About Hard Things. building a business when there are no easy answers it's written by ben horowitz and he actually wrote the book he was he's a tech guy um in silicon valley and he started companies and he was one of those guys that really didn't know what he was doing um in starting the tech company and so he learned and but also learned there's a lot of times there are no easy answers there are no there is no good answer you just pick the best of the bad uh possibilities sometimes and uh he ultimately realized that he was not alone, and so many tech company CEOs, and often a lot of them are founders. Um, a lot of them have no idea what they're doing, and the reason why I recommend this on this show is because I feel like so many of us nonprofit leaders um, are in the same boat. We come on board. We, uh, you know, we had this with uh, Megan Parker. Last week, we have with Sarah Beth. I never had conversations with her. Myself, I am one of those that came on board, and we really didn't know what we were doing. We kind of came on because we're passionate about something, and we come into this situation, all of a sudden, we're leading this international organization. And it's like deer in the headlights. You're going, oh, my goodness, what in the world are we doing here? But you know what? If you get the right mentors, you get people surrounding you who can help you wade through these difficult issues – and you just kind of push forward with wisdom. You push forward, you know, asking for help, but also understanding your limitations and surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you, who are better than you in a lot of ways. Um, amazing things can happen. And so now, you know, Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen, who he started, uh, I think Netscape back in the day, it was one of those. Um, they're now coaching uh, organizations on uh, on how to run a tech company. And it's something that we're talking about and working on doing as well. So if you're out there and you're one of these people who are like, man, I have no idea how to get my organization healthy, we're, we're working on uh, putting together some coaching for that. Um, we're talking about doing that through World Without Orphans. We're talking about they're doing that through Think Orphan. Um, and so you know, stay tuned on that and uh, reach out to me if you have any questions about that because it's something that I think is so important if we're going to do the best work that we can do for the kingdom then we have to be healthy as organizations. And so that book is fantastic if you want to check it out. But uh, the other one, it's more of a a self-care book, fantastic book. that I actually have like 20 pages left, so this is a little cheating, but it's so good that I want to do it even before I finished it. Uh, It's Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. And it's it's just talking about his experiences with his good friend, Dallas Willard, and what he taught him about soul, um, the soul and how we need to really uh, nourish our soul, how we need to feed our soul, how we need to care for our soul if we're going to be really effective for God. So, you know, I I hope that you take those couple books. I hope that you take what you learned today uh, through the interview with Sarah Beth, through the conversation that I was able to have with Karen, Um, really everything else that you're doing. I, I just pray that you take it and you really use it to learn how you can love orphaned and vulnerable children